Welcome to Leveling the Playing Field, a podcast featuring women who work in sport. My name is Bobby Sue Doyle Hazard, and I am your host. Um, this week, I have the Director of Client Retention for the Washington Nationals, Michelle Price, here. Um, and Michelle's a classmate of mine from UMass Amherst um, and our sport management department. And um, we share a couple of funny stories about that, but we really talk about her career from starting as an indoor salesperson to now her director position on the retention side. Um, it's a really, really fun interview. I laugh and snort a lot, which is always a good sign. Um, before we head into the interview, though, there are a couple of things I just wanted to say. I wanted to thank you all and tell you how grateful I am for you all this year. Um, uh, this has been a really fun journey for me. And I, again, hope that I am providing some value for you all. Um, I do love hearing your feedback. So make sure you're following um, on Twitter and Facebook um, at LTPF pod. And, um, you know, let me know what you think. And I'm planning for 2018. So um, give me your feedback. Tell me what you want more of, what you want less of, that type of thing. Um, and I wanted to put one other thing out there. And, um, you know, the holiday season can be really tough for people, um, especially those who don't have really close family or who, um, you know, suffer with a mental health issue. And so I wanted you all to know that you're not alone. Um, it's tough for me as well at times. And that um, my direct messages are always open on Twitter. And um, you can always send me a message through the Facebook group as well. So my personal Twitter is at Bobby Sue. Um, feel free to follow along or send me a message there, um, especially if you're going through a tough time. Um, I think it's important that we're there for each other. And please make sure you're rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Tune in wherever you get this lovely podcast. Um, it helps other people see us. And there's a lot of you, which is great, but there's still so many more people that could be hearing us. So um, share it with your friends as well. Now for the interview. This week on Leveling the Playing Field, I have an old classmate of mine. She's really not old. I'm older as she just reminded me, uh, Michelle Price is the director of client retention for the Washington Nationals. And um, her career path is going to be much more similar to many of y'all who are either interested in or are actually in the sport industry. Most people start off in sales and um, she has reached the higher ranks by doing so. Um, she started as inside sales rep for the Celtics, moved to the Mets, and is now director of client retention with the Nationals. She is a 2005 graduate of the UMass Sport Management uh, Program. And in 2015, she was named alumni on the rise for the Mark McCormick Department of Sport Management at UMass. Michelle, welcome. Thanks for having me. So this will be fun because um, we have weird stories from when we worked at the athletic marketing department at UMass together. <laughs> yes, we do. 
Um, but I want to start off with a question that I ask a lot of people, which is, how did you fall in love with sports? Yeah, uh, I think I was probably like a, a young child when that happened. So I, I usually when I answer this kind of question, I blame my brother for it. <laughs> so I have an older brother. He's about two years older than me. And so when we were growing up, you know, he was active outside playing sports. And so when I wanted to play with my brother, I had to play sports. And so from an early age, I was playing sports, involved in sports, talking sports, going to games. Uh, and from there, it just blossomed into, you know, a uh, playing career when I was in high school. And then, you know, when applying to colleges, it, it just made so much sense to, to keep pursuing it. So I think from an early age, uh, I was just hooked. What did you play when you were in high school? Uh, I played softball and, and basketball, and I, I dabbled in volleyball for a little bit, but I didn't want to play in three consecutive seasons, so I, I, I dropped out of volleyball to, to do other activities in the, in the school. What was your favorite? You uh, volleyball? No, uh, my, my favorite was, was softball. It was the one I, I played most seriously. I played travel ball in the summer. I played fall league in the fall. And then, of course, we were in season in, in spring. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's intense. Yeah. And and usually really expensive. <laughs> yeah. It, it just from the time and the, and the resources. Uh, yeah, it was it was a lot in the equipment, you know, to, to be out there, have it last for all, all year around for four or five years. I was playing. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's a lot. Wow. Did your, um, who was the better athlete, you or your brother? Oh, me. I'm definitely the better athlete in the family. <laughs> uh, not even close. <laughs> He'll even tell you that too. Uh, not even close. Uh, yeah, it was me. And then, you know, he still lives through me uh, vicariously now that, you know, I'm in, in the sports industry working. And, you know, he loves to uh, hear the stories of, you know, people I've met or places I've been or things I've been invited to. And he just, you know, he puts his head down and, and chuckles sometimes because he just can't believe it. That's really funny. Yeah. When you, um, as you were growing up and, you know, we all kind of have that moment of trying to figure out where we want to go to school. Right. So how did you end up at UMass? Uh, for some reason, college to me meant New England uh, and I grew up in New York. So it, w- it was requiring me to go away for school. So. Um, you know, I didn't know that of it as like the state school that everybody went to, which is what I learned when I got there is everybody was from Boston. Uh, I viewed it as I want to go to school in New England. So I, I looked at UMass, I looked at Boston University and, and some of the other smaller schools up in the area. And what's funny about it is I had wanted to pursue different majors at all these different schools. And so UMass was sport management. I think at BU, I was looking at like poli sci, another one I was looking at history. And we went on the, <laughs> yeah, I was all over the place. Uh, and so we went to UMass for orientation and they give you the, you know, the sheet of all the classes and you get to be around on campus and, and get the vibe. And I, my mom, I think, just turned to me with the sheet of like, here's like sport marketing, sport finance, sport, you know, policy. And she's like, are you kidding? Like, how do you not do this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then the decision became, you know, obviously very clear and, you know, never looked back after that. So that was on your uh, college tour when they did that? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, you get, you got into the program and then they, they invited you to campus for, you know, a day and you had to tour around and then meet, you know, the advisors and, and get an idea of what a day in life would be. And, and that's when I was sold. Was I one of your tour managers? <laughs> you you might have been. I don't, I don't that's even so remember. Funny. 
It would have been. Uh, I just remembered that I used to do that. It, you could <laughs> have been completely with, forgot with Dr. Jefferson. It could have been. I would say it would probably be uh, spring of 2001 or fall of 2000. Yeah, yeah I might have, have been, been then. That's yeah. really funny. Our paths oh, Dr. Jefferson. Hmm. <laughs> I love Dr. Jefferson. Um, when um, so you ended up coming to UMass and. I wonder, what did you think about the program when you first started? What was the, what was the vibe? Um, you know, were there a lot of women in it? Were there mostly a bunch of guys? How did you feel when you first started? Oh man, it's a long time ago. Uh, I, know. I, I remember going in feeling like, uh, you know, I was going to the best sport management program in the country, and that was something that you know was reiterated to me over and over again. And and I knew somebody that had uh, I grew up with that was in the program a couple of years ahead of us, um, and he had you know re you know reminded me of that too. And so when I got there, I had this like, yeah, I'm in the major. You know, I didn't have to apply into it; I got directly into it, which was a, an accomplishment. Um, and then I remember getting there, and you know, we had a good ma- mix of male and female professors. I mean, you know, Dr. Barr and, and Lisa Master Alexis and, you know, a few others that I'm probably forgetting their name right now. Um, and then <laughs> was I got Betsy there? Was Betsy there when you were there? Betsy got, uh, yes, but a little bit later into, I think she got there my sophomore year. Yeah. Um, but so we had, you know, really high powered women, you know, in the department. And then when I got into classes, it was definitely predominantly male. Um, but I felt like the females that were in our circle of friends that, you know, were involved in, in all the organizations on campus were like elite, you know, and, and, you know, I look when we graduated, we, we all ended up in sports and, and not all the guys did. So I feel like, you know, maybe we had to, maybe we had to work harder and get there, but we, we all were able to accomplish what we set out to when we, when we graduated. So that was, that was cool. That is really cool. We, um, you and I met because <laughs> of, uh, the athletic marketing department. Yeah. Um, and I had been an intern with them. I don't know the entire time I was there, basically. Um, so you came along with um, a really fun crew of people, and um, I think when you came along is when we were. I I hope I'm not getting this wrong, but when we were going through the um, possible change in logo oh, and yes. mascot, yes, to the gray wolves. <laughs> I remember that. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a big mistake. <laughs> that was so, <laughs> so it was so f- for people who who don't really know. So UMass, there are a couple things about UMass that are really interesting. The sport management department um, and program, as Michelle mentioned, is is one of the the top in the country, if not the top. Um, so many people have gone through that program and and have reached ridiculous heights in the um, industry. And um, they they have this great internship program with, um, and it's kind of like work study slash internship um, with the athletic department. And um, at the time, so we are the UMass Minutemen, and there was discussion about <laughs> potentially changing it to the UMass gray wolves <laughs> one of the problems with that is that in basketball there is a fairly i don't know it's no like yankees red Sox type of thing but there's a bit of a rivalry with uh connecticut 
um, with Yukon and the Huskies. So, you know, that caused a bit of <laughs> drama. And they were only like 45 minutes down the road too. Right. <laughs> And so that was actually really interesting, though, because we got to see a lot of the um, the work product that they put together. Yeah, I mean, we were looking at I remember mocked up images and slogans and color schemes, and it was almost like you know ready to hit go. And it was it was you know exciting as like a young you know I was, I was a freshman at the time. This you know was was my school going to do this overhaul, and I was going to have like a front row seat for it, or was this going to be, you know, you know, like a, a crash and burn type situation. So either way, I had a front row seat. So I thought it was pretty exciting. Yeah. What was the first thing that we, um, that you ended up doing when you were interning? Oh, man. Uh, so I, I remember I first found out about the internship at a UMASM meeting. Um, I think they've rebranded what UMASM is now. I think it's like a, another um, club now, it's diversity in sport. And I remember, like, you know, we're, we have a couple of openings and there's only, like, a handful, but it's it's not as glamorous as people would think. And so I raised my, <laughs> I raised my hand because I was like, I'll just do it. I want to get involved. You know, I figured it was a step into doing something greater down the road. I knew you just couldn't land top thing as a, a senior. So <laughs> raised my hand and did it. Uh, and the position was uh, limp crew. <laughs> and so... Uh, I was like, I don't know what this is, but I'll do it. And, you know, I, I remember coming down to the arena on like a dark day and they're like, all right, Blimp Crew. So they gave me a T-shirt, you know, maroon shirt on the back said Blimp Crew and a ginormous remote control with an antenna that was probably bigger than I was. And they're like, all right, you're flying the Blimp. And I was like, what am I doing? And, you know, it was literally flying the Blimp around, you know, the hockey arena and the basketball game when, you know, you have to maneuver around the stands so it's not too low where people can grab it and around of course the big jumbotron that's in the middle of the court uh and not crash the thing and make you know make it go viral but on top of that we were asked to drop coupons from it so (laughs) they had this like claw like a a arcade claw and i swear like this thing would go all over the place and out of control like my heart i probably aged like 10 years from just you know the couple times i had to fly it because it it relies on you know, air pressure. And so anytime someone opened the arena door, like literally fans coming in and out as the door was opening, you know, opening and closing, it was like knocking this blimp off of, of its kilter. And so I, I was, I was a little nervous at the time. So I was like really excited when, you know, Blimp Crew was done and I was able to like get a job with you guys who were, who were more seniors on the staff and roll t-shirts and fly our campus. Everything seems really, really great after that job. But it's, it's really funny. Oh Actually, gosh. I was at a game here with the Washington Capitals a couple weeks ago and I was sitting in the stands as a fan and they had a blimp and I swear like it brought me back to like crazy war stories and memories of like flashbacks of finding the like, the blimp and I was looking around just to find the guy that had the remote and I finally saw him and guess what? It's the same remote control, the same 10 foot antenna. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's good to see things have changed in, you know, technology world, you know, all these years later. But it was, uh, I don't regret it. And, you know, it was a story I told very early on when I was interviewing for jobs because I remember a question I kept getting was, how do we know that you'll do anything to, to make make your way in this industry or, and be successful at this job? And I was like, well, let me tell you a story uh, about how I flew the blimp. And so I became known uh, at a couple of places as the girl who flew the blimp or the blimp girl. And, and it, I think it definitely helped me stand out in the process because I was willing to do anything and I was able to prove it. Yeah, that blimp was so <laughs> funny because of 
So, I mean, again, for everyone listening, just imagine being inside a hockey game and there being an indoor blimp and just kind of like flying around and it would go out of control sometimes. And you'd have drunken college kids trying to grab it. It was all right. <laughs> the claw was the best part. We, I, I remember we tried to like think of other things we could drop <laughs> and we were just like, no, let's, let's not, but it's a very expensive toy. Yeah. And, and it was one of those things where we, we didn't want it to break, of course. And there were times when uh, we got a little close to it breaking. <laughs> um, so tell your most harrowing story of the blimp. Oh man. Uh, so whenever you flew the blimp, there was somebody that was next to you to, to help, uh, to help, I guess, you know, help you out in whatever way they could. Um, so this wasn't a time where I was flying it. Cause I only, I honestly only flew it like maybe one or two times. Uh, and one of them <laughs> might've been in the practice round and then they thought I was that bad. So I became like the helper for most of the time. Um, and I remember like, so just the same way you, you know, an airplane lands at an airport, you know, it has to circle around and, um, you know, decrease its altitude steadily and, and land in the perfect spot is that's what we had to do with the blimp. And in a hockey arena, that only spot is that like corner of the ice where, you know, where we go in and out for our marketing. You had to land it within like a, maybe like a 20 foot area. It's the blimp. It's pretty big. And I remember the person that was flying at the time, I won't name any names, uh, but came up short. And I remember the blimp was like landing in the crowd or and like edging on the ice on the, the glass. And mm -hmm. so like, a bunch of us, and you may have been one of them, I have no idea, but we had to go run into the crowd and fetch the blimp <laughs> and pull it off and, and bring it bring it back to the corner like nothing happened, like it was all part of the show because, of course, it's, it's a game presentation, so it's important, and we didn't want to go viral. I remember that was our biggest fear. Like, we didn't want to end up on, like, Sports Center, you know, not top 10 <laughs> for crashing right. a blimp into a crowd of students. I mean, it was a little easier at that point not to go viral because um, cell phones just maybe started taking yeah. pictures not video yet that's true it, that helped but, us later on because we were falling yeah. all over the ice <laughs> yeah well god thank god i remember <laughs> i wiped out one day in front of merrimack um and uh it, so that was we were lucky there but um yeah i think i remember that game <laughs> and you know one of the things like that people listening don't know necessarily about me because i haven't told my full story is, you know, when I worked with the athletic marketing department, I was at all of the hockey, all of the baseball, uh, basketball, some baseball actually, and all of the football games. And in, um, at hockey games, I was, um, I was, uh, Michelle, are you typing something? Oh yeah. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I was trying to turn off my notifications. All right. Hold on. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> All right, maybe I'll just shut down my inbox. There you go. All right, sorry. No, it's fine. Um, um, so one of the, th you know, at hockey games, I was one of the people on the ice during, did, wait, did you ever wear the pizza? Uh, no, well, Mr. Slice. Mr. Slice. No, I never had to wear it. <laughs> never, <laughs> never had to wear it. But I remember we were trying to get Mr. Slice to fight with the Minuteman, like every game where we possibly could. And I remember... Um, you know, the head of the department wasn't very 
you know, big fan of that. But we were like, get the bra going because everyone in the crowd loved it. Yeah. So uh, we'd be on and Mr. Slice was this pizza slice costume that we um, I think I managed to not have to wear. Um, and the the younger interns would and he would he or she would help these little itty bitties. So these little kids would come on the ice and try and, you know, shoot um, into the net. And uh, Mr. Slice was defending. And then every once in a while, um, we also had the Minuteman. We didn't really have like a a person who was a mascot person for whatever reason. Um, so somebody on our team would have to get into that, which is just gross. And um, and these are things that like everybody ends up having to do at some point uh, yeah. in the industry. But um, and yeah, we we would try and cause a. Uh, a little skirmish between the two, just fake, but there was, there was definite hesitancy to be violent in terms of like what was shown in game uh, presentation from up above. Uh, And I think we got away with it like twice. (laughs) (laughs) They were always so good though. Yeah. And then we'd be on the ice. So we spent so much time doing things that just sound really boring, um, which I think is something that's important for people who are interested in getting into the industry to hear about. Right. Because sometimes we think of working in sports. So when you think of a sports lawyer, you think of an agent or when you think of, um, you know, somebody working for the front office, you think of the GM, you don't really think about the people selling tickets. You don't really think about all the behind the scenes work that the marketing staff does. Right. So, um, what were some of the things that we ended up spending many, many hours doing? Oh man. Uh, we, we were rolling t-shirts. I mean, I, I was an expert at that after a while because we, sh- we threw some out in the crowd and then we had to shoot some from the gun and <laughs> I remember there was two ways to roll a t-shirt depending on how we were going to distribute it. Uh, we spent hours uh, tabling in dining halls. I remember that we were trying to get signups for uh, Maroon Platoon, which I think has changed at the time, but we were trying to come up with like a fan, a student group. Um, we spent hours sending pocket schedules and flying around, you know, Amherst to, to, you know, whenever there was a new pocket schedule out for women's basketball or men's lacrosse. It wasn't just, you know, the big sports. And then um, we started doing like a fan zone for football. So Saturday mornings, like 6 a.m. or 7 a.m., we were out there setting up like a, a tent for hospitality areas with like tables and chairs and balloons. And, you know, it was a cold day in fall in Amherst. And it was 7 oh a.m. on a Saturday morning and the marching band's blaring. And, and you may have gone out and had one too many drinks at McMurphy's the night before. But, you know, we were, we were out there <laughs> early. We were out there late. We were... Um, you know, I remember helping keep score at a women's softball game. Uh, yeah, there was all types of stuff we did. And, you know, some of it was fun, like being on the ice in the crowd and uh, being part of the you know, ESPN game when it was like UMass versus Temple and then basketball. That was that was really, really exciting. And then there's other times where you're you know, just driving around in a car, dropping off pocket schedules. And it's like, oh, my God, what am I doing? Um, <laughs> but it helps. It helps tell, tell your story later down the road because, you know, you can't just expect to step into a high level role when you graduate, you've got to pay your dues a little bit. And so it allowed us to do it a little bit earlier on than most. I was doing it as a freshman and, and you as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I started as a freshman um, selling tickets at uh, football games mm. at McGurk. McGurk. I forget how you say <laughs> it. But um, so there, there were these um, uh, the ticket. Booth, right? Yeah, ticket booths, which were, it was just a concrete, mini weird building. There was no restroom. Um, there was really like nothing in it and it, it was cold. And, um, and that's how I started was by doing that. And then the opportunity to help with the, um, with the winter sports, um, basketball and hockey came. And so I moved over to, uh, marketing and uh and that was definitely a better fit for me i think um but i mean as you know sales is is how most people get into the industry right uh it is uh it's they're typically the largest departments and in, in in different teams um you know i think about how many people are on your legal team in in tampa two too, right, and so if you're an entry level lawyer to get one of those jobs, you have to wait for one of you guys to leave, and, and it's, so it's it's really competitive. Um, but ticket sales teams tend to be, you know, I think where we were, the Celtics were probably a smaller one because it was the NBA, and we were maybe like twelve to fifteen. But now when you step onto Major League Baseball, where you have twice as many seats, twice as many games, uh, you know, we were we were close to fifty, and you know, we're definitely sixty to seventy altogether in, in DC here. So. When you, when you have a bigger team, there's more openings. And so that's, that's tends to be where, um, people will apply because we'll also take people who with, with no experience and, and we'll, we'll train them because a lot of ticket sales programs have what we call inside sales programs that are meant for training and development. And not, not a lot of other departments and organizations have a training program other than an internship. Right. And so, you know, we'll, we'll definitely take, I don't want to say a risk because that's not the right phrase for it, but we'll definitely, hire more entry-level and experienced people to train them and move them up to the organization. So it's definitely a place where people get a start. I hate yeah. calling it a foot in the door though. I, and you know, it's one of my pet right. because you know, if you're not interested in sales or the rev, I, I don't even want to say sales. If you're not interested in the revenue generating side of the business, um, then it's not the right place to start because it, it's really hard to fake it. And the revenue generating is, is retention. It's, service uh, retention and service it's sales it's premium sales even corporate sponsorship sales but if you're interested in marketing or legal or community outreach or communications those are revenue spending sides of the business and so if, if that's where your passion is there's nothing wrong with it but i i, I don't think it's right to pursue a, a ticket sales or, or sales career if that's if that's truly what you want to do it's, it's aligned with what you want to do and, and go for it sure when um when you were at UMass and figuring out like what your next step was when you're nearing graduation. Um, you know, what was your first away from UMass internship that you had? Uh, away from UMass, I worked for a minor league baseball team um, closer to home. It was about an hour north of where my parents lived called Hudson Valley Renegades. Um, and they were the single A affiliate for, a, it was the Tampa Bay Devil Rays at the time. I, I know that they've since changed to the Rays. Um, so I, I spent the summer between my junior and senior year as what we called the customer service intern uh, at the at the Renegades, and that encompassed a lot more than just customer service. So my, <laughs> my first day on the job, 
first on the job, I show up and I'm in you know, business professional attire, ready to go. And, and my supervisor at the time just goes, all right, grab that bag. We got to go. And I was like, where are we going? I didn't even know where we were going. We showed up at a school for like a reading program. And she's like, yeah, you're, you're going to be the mascot. <laughs> and so, my, literally my first day I was in my business attire like you know nice skirt nice top you know hair's done nicely and I'm putting on like a, a raccoon costume and I'm standing up <laughs> and I'm standing up in front of a school assembly in June in a cafeteria in elementary school and then posing for pictures afterwards and so I was like oh god what did I get myself into um but I was doing stuff like that and um also doing some communications calls to some press set up, you know, um, story releases. Uh, I, in in game, I was in charge of promotions. So like getting people signed up for the promotions I handled uh, on the field. And then I was customer service. So if someone was upset about their seat or their hot dog was cold or something happened, they didn't get a bobblehead. I was front and center. I was the person they came to. And, uh, and I think that's where I realized I enjoyed the fan interaction part of the business the most because that was energetic. You never knew what was going to happen. Every day was different. You could meet all mm-hmm. these interesting people. Um, and that's when I knew that what we were doing in athletic marketing behind the scenes was okay. It was fun. But the more fun I had was the most fun I had was talking to people and engaging. And, and that's, that's really where I, I figured I, that that side of the business was where I should go. Um, when, when we're, with smaller organizations like a minor league team or I did the um uh, Cape League team yeah. one summer. Yeah. Um the title is often not really what um you think your job is gonna be. Oh, never. <laughs> but it's great because you get so much exposure and it's something that I, you know, I think is important for people listening who are really interested in in the industry to think about, you know, and it's why I'm having these conversations, you know, with people is, you know, yes, some of the the women that I've had on this industry and and you yourself, Michelle, are are very well established and and are at, you know, high levels in their career. And some of them have crazy stories about how they got there and and they're very different than the paths that most people take. And you know, a lot of people go the working for a really small organization route or a minor, you know, minor league mm-hmm. team or a Cape League team. And that's where you are able to really figure out what you like best about the industry. Yeah, I think it's important. And and if, anytime I talk to a college student that hasn't, you know, if I'm looking over the resume and I see they haven't worked in minor league baseball or, or minor league organization. Uh, I, I recommend they go and it's not because, you know, of the multiple jobs they'll get to do, but it's because they'll also figure out what they don't want to do. And I think that's just as important as figuring out what you do um, because you don't want to start a career and get down this path and realize, you know what, I'm not passionate about it and, but I'm here and I might as well just stick through it. And so, you know, understanding that you, you don't want to sell tickets is just as important as finding out that you do have a passion for marketing and communications. And so, that's something I recommend all the time. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's a, a good tip. How did you, um, how did you end up at the Celtics? So my senior year of college, uh, the NBA was hosting a career fair uh, and they've moved away from that model a little bit, but it was essentially, it teamed up with the NBA league meeting. So when they had all the executives 
um, on the ticket sales side in town for, you know, their, their yearly meeting, uh, they would host or piggyback a job fair for a fair on top of that. And so I got invited to one that was in the spring of 2005. So that was my senior year. It was down in Dallas, Texas during our spring break. Um, and I got invited to go through Professor McKelvey, who's, who's, you know, the department, yep. one of the department heads at, at UMass. Um, because Dr. Sutton, who I feel like a lot of us know now, uh, <laughs> was used to run the UMass program and was with Teambo in the MBA at the time. And he had held a few spots for UMass students. And so because of my connections with Professor McKelvey and, uh, you know, I had taken a ticket sales and sport marketing class, obviously, at UMass. And uh, I was offered the opportunity to interview with Dr. Sutton and uh, one of his coworkers at the time, Lou DePauli. Oh, I just met Lou. Yeah. (laughs) And so that story becomes full circle in a second. I'll tell you why. Um, But, you know, I'm sitting in the conference room in the sport management program with, you know, Dr. Sutton and Lou DePauli and they're interviewing and they're deciding who's who's, who's got qualifications to come down to the career fair and interview. And I was one of four. um, So I flew down to Dallas. Uh, I got to interview all these different teams and, and, you know, state my case and explain how I, you know, my experience on the blimp crew would make me a great, great salesperson. (laughs) Uh, and I got, I got offered a couple of different interviews and, um, the Celtics were one. I, I did a follow-up interview, um, the week after in Boston and, you know, got to see the, you know, their offices at the time and meet more people on their team. And, you know, I really connected with the inside sales manager who was going to be my direct boss and, you know, the director above her. Um, and then, you know, I just like the vibe there. And plus moving to Boston after UMass didn't feel like so much of a, a stretch, you know, it felt like a continuation yeah. of my education almost because all my friends were moving back to Boston. It's a great city and, you know, a great place to start your career after college because everyone is young and it's a vibrant city. And for me, it was also not too far from my home. It was, it was probably like a three hour drive. And so, you know, being able to stay connected with my family and be home for important events. And, and that was important to me too. And so I was able to get the best of all worlds in that situation. But Lou DePauli, who interviewed me as a senior in, senior in college to see if I had qualifications to be an entry-level salesperson, um, you know, full circle, you know, fast forward eight or so years, he's now the senior or executive vice president and chief revenue officer for the New York Mets. And so he became my boss uh, later down the road at the Mets for, you know, four or five years while I was there. And so, you know, when I retell him that story, he remembers it. And, you know, he, he's a UMass guy as well. And, uh, you know, he just smiles and says, like, you never know who you're going to meet. And that's a very true story. Yeah, for sure. I um, so one of one of the main things about our industry is how much it's about who, you know, a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And um, and and that's why the UMass Sport Management um, Department is so good is because of all of these amazing contacts. And recently gosh i want to say in the last like two months um the usf um sport management program had one of their um they do these events where they'll have a few people speak um abe um from uh sbj usually comes and is the moderator and wouldn't you know it, the uh, head of that program is Bill Sutton. Yep. And um, one of the people um, at the event was Luda Pauly. And I hadn't met him yet. Um, so Buffy Philippel, um introduced me to him. Nice. Yeah. So that was, re- yeah, that was really funny. Um, 
and you're, you know, you kind of worked your way up the ranks in sales. Yeah. Um, so I've, I, when I, you know, tell people I dabbled in, I've dabbled in all areas of ticket sales and service, um, maybe except for operations, but uh, I mean, who knows for the future lives. Um, <laughs> so as an inside sales rep, you're, you're trained on, you know, how to service accounts and, you know, retain them. Um, obviously sell them and then on the group sales and, and premium side, your full menu. So you, you learn to do everything. And then from there, you know, your managers, your leadership team and, and you as a person have a little bit of a say too, you know, what your next step is, where are your strengths, where, where could you be the biggest asset to the team? Uh, and at the Celtics, and for me, that was in group sales. So they, um, brought and made it to become an account executive on the group sales side. And I spent, you know, five seasons, you know, selling large organizations in, in the Boston and New England area, hosting events. You know, most of my work was in, in the nonprofit world and the youth sports you know, capacity. So I spent like five years doing that. I had the time of my life, you know, I was bringing kids and, you know, people, I was bringing kids down on the court to you know, high five players <laughs> and, and shoot some hoops and play some games. And then at the same time, I was helping these organizations create awareness and, and fundraise for some really, really great causes. And so I had a, a lot of fun with it. Um, and then I felt like I, I could do more and I felt like I could contribute more. And the Celtics were a small organization, like I said, and there wasn't a lot of room for, for growth there because they already had really talented people in, in the positions that I wanted and I didn't foresee them leaving. And so I had to make a choice to either stay and continue doing what I was doing. And, I, and there was no reason for me to leave. I was, I was doing really well and, and liked it and friends and a good support system in Boston or take a, a chance and, and leave the only professional job I knew and, and see if I can make it somewhere else and there was a person the Mets were at the time were redoing their front office and they uh they opened up the new ballpark in New York in 2009 and team performance mm -hmm. dipped the prices were really high and in the top of it the ownership group got in a little bit of trouble with the Bernie Madoff situation and so it was like a, a a perfect storm of, of needing change. And so they brought in a new person um, to be the VP of ticket sales. And she came from the Boston Bruins. And when she was looking to fill her leadership team, she grabbed somebody from the Boston Celtics. And then that person from the Boston Celtics grabbed me. And I was an entry level manager at the New York Mets in uh, starting 2011. And so that was my first shot to, to see if I could cut it as a, a leader and a manager and, um, you know, and, and help rebuild the Mets program. And, and you know, it, it's crazy. It was, it was a big risk because, there was the Mets were in the news at the time, and you know I didn't know really what I was getting myself into. I had never been a manager. Uh, right. I, had, I had been a captain, but it's very very different when you're you're in charge with revenue and developing people and having to have tougher conversations. And uh, so I took a risk, and and from the Mets I was able to be promoted a few different times. So I I got to oversee an inside sales program after that. So it was, it was very cool. I got to recruit and train and develop and help people all their dreams and, and create opportunities for them. And then uh, I moved over to retention to help rebuild that program, not not from scratch because they had talented people, but give them a little bit of a new focus and take what I had learned on the new business side of the, of the department and apply it to retention to help them uh, gain more revenues from their existing clients and, and strengthen those relationships and, and grow them over time because it's a huge of huge importance to any organization is to not just sit on an account base, but to grow it. And um, I was able to do that. And then I, the, the nationals came calling because they were looking for someone like me, but to be the department head of retention. And 
I couldn't pass that up either. And so I, I came down and met people here and it, it seems like a really, really good fit. And so here I am. Yeah. You've been there about eight months now, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pretty close. Uh, I got here mid season. And so it was a little bit of a whirlwind between moving and adjusting to new, a new career move and then learning how the nationals do things. And then, you know, renewal season in baseball kicks off in July. And so as soon as I got right. here, we were in preparation for our 2018 campaign almost like immediately. And so we were, felt like it was in a bunker for <laughs> a few months while we, we prepped it, but uh, it's going off really well and I'm excited about the move and I'm excited to have an off season to get my bearings a little bit. And you know, what, what we're going to do in 2018 is going to be really special. So I'm excited. That's great. You, um, when you, we're doing group sales at the Celtics. You were number three in the NBA. Is that correct? Yeah, you, you really hunted me down. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's something I do. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was. Um, but my, I can see your face right now. You're <laughs> blushing. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I, I I get Knoxville around a lot because I don't I don't like to mention it as much because you know that was a, in my mind that was a really long time ago and obviously I'm very proud of the accomplishment. Um, but it, it feels like so far ago that like I, I don't want to almost hang my hat on that anymore. I want to move to my new accomplishments that I'm, I'm also very proud of. But yeah, sure. I was definitely um, very lucky. I mean, Boston's a great market for sports. I mean, the, the years I was there were a few of the championship years or one of the championship years. We only won one. We came close the second time. Um, but also like with the Patriots and the Bruins and, and the Red Sox, obviously, they were it was a great town to sell in. And so there's a lot of passion for it. And so. Over my time as a group sales rep, I I was in the top ten most of my years. I don't want to be false on that, but um, by my last campaign, yeah, I had risen to, to third. That's awesome. That's really, really such an accomplishment. So, congratulations to you on that. Even though Thank you me. don't want to really talk about it, <laughs> um, it was just so, so long ago. I, I, was, I know. I was I'm sure. But yeah, it was, it was something I was proud of and. You know, my whole department, there was a, there was a handful of us. We were all in the top 10 and, you know, we were, we were all really excited for each other too. So it was a lot of fun. That's awesome. Did you, um, you mentioned a championship. Did you get a ring? I did. Ooh, does now, does everyone get a ring? Yeah. Uh, I mean, every team does it a little bit differently. So the, the players obviously get their ring and you can Google that and see what that looks like. Um, but I remember, <laughs> I remember we got to try on, uh, like a sample size because they, they size you for them and the player ring was there. And I remember I put it on and it, it, you couldn't see my entire pinky finger because it just took up <laughs> the whole, the whole thing. Um, but yeah, everybody does get a ring. There's like a player ring and an ownership and VP level ring. And then we got what I believe is called an executive ring, which is really, really nice. I'm not going to complain. It's, it's awesome. Uh, and then they, they cheered it down a little bit for game day staff and part-time staff, but everybody did get some sort of, you know, recognition and some sort of memorabilia piece from that uh, championship run. And then, um, you know, baseball is really cool too, because I've been lucky, you know, when the Mets went to the World Series in 2015, you, you get an NLCS championship ring for winning the National League. So um, I was fortunate enough to, to receive one of those as well. So I've, I'm starting a really nice collection and I hope to continue it. I'm jealous. <laughs> um, what um, what were some of the, the main differences, you know, and, and some of your maybe fears moving from doer to leader? 
Yeah, it's it's. I think they go all go back to control. You know, you uh, you know, everyone who everyone I've ever talked to wants to be a manager. You know, they they they, but part of them they don't know what that means. Um, and I was, you know, I was bright eyed and bushy tails, like I could do this, I'm going to do this. And so there's there's a little bit of fear because you don't know. Now you're there. What do you do? And it's just like, okay, now I've told everybody I can do this. Can I do it for real? Um, <laughs> and then there's control. So as a salesperson, I'm I'm only in charge of me. You know, my my efforts equal my results, and I just have to stay in my lane, worry about myself. And you know, sales can be competitive but collaborative at the same time, and you want your people to do well. But I really, at the end of the day, I'm I am the number on the board. I am I, that's what I wear on my on my back. But as a leader your success is dictated by all the people you lead because you're no longer on the phones or meeting with clients as much and you don't have a number of shots to you other than what, you know, your team of 15 are doing. And so you have to be confident in your abilities to impact somebody else to achieve the goals that you want. And I think that's, uh, that's hard at first. And it's, you know, it's almost like one of those things where you can envision you like, you want to shake somebody and be like, come on, let's go. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it could be scary and, you know, it takes some time to get comfortable with, you know, how do you get the best out of that person and how to get the best out of that other person sitting next to them because they're different. They have different personal goals. They have different professional goals, but right at this moment they have the same goal and, and how do I get them to, to, to respond and, and contribute? And so I think that's, uh, there's a lot of fear the first time. And then there's also the fear of um, being confident, you know, do I have what it takes to teach these people? You know, I'm, I'm being asked mm-hmm. to start these, career and that's a huge responsibility and their habits are going to be formed from me and am I confident in my abilities to do that and by giving them the right advice am I confident in the decisions I'm making because if it backfires now that's on me and so I think being a first-time manager and entry-level manager is, is, is scary but it's it's also one of the most rewarding because you literally take somebody that's never done this job before and you know a year later you can see them growing and um help them get from A to B and that's, that's extremely rewarding. What were um, some of the resources that you utilized or, you know, what did you find yourself doing in order to learn how to be a manager or, um, or get over some of those fears? Yeah. Uh, I think you, you rely on, you know, the support system. So, you know, there's many days like venting to friends and family of like, what am I doing? Did I make the right choice? Uh, and they give you, you know, the good old pep talk. Um, but at the, at the Mets, which is where I had my first opportunity, I had such a really good support system from the leadership team, um, from the person that helped bring me over from the, from the Celtics, you know, was obviously a champion in my corner the entire time. But from my, my then direct boss, um, you know, I got to watch him do what he was doing on a day-to-day basis and and you know at first you get to ask questions and learn and then you get to imitate and then you know he put me up in front of the room was like all right this is your training session go and you know I you know I'll self-immediately you know tell you that I bombed those first few of them you know you get up there and you bomb and you're just like why isn't anybody responding I ask Mm -hmm. a question and there's crickets and you're just like you're, you're turning beet red and nervous and your heart's racing and you're like wow I suck at this um and then, you know, you, you debrief after and you get up and you do it again. And, and some of it's the same process as in sales is, you know, each, each call is different. Each interaction with the client is different. And, you know, you got to learn from each one and continue to move forward. And you did the same thing as a entry level manager, but I had, you know, people helping me along the way at the Mets. And then, um, you know, I constantly read too. I read different blogs and books and 
try to, you know, keep myself up to date on different sales things and leadership things. And so between reading and doing and, and coaching from, you know, my direct supervisors, you know, I was able to get experience from it and, and gain my confidence up. But I think my, my second year was definitely better. So I apologize to anybody I had in my first year because I probably <laughs> owe you a redo. <laughs> um, what were some of the common mistakes you were making? Uh, they were probably, you know, me, it was probably goes back to my confidence. You know, I, I, again, I was a lot, I was unsure of a lot because, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the, these other people I was on leadership teams with, you know, especially especially Brian, who was um, my direct boss and and really helped me along the way. He still helps me to this day. Um, he had come from a really great program with training and, you know, even before he became a manager, he was being groomed to be a manager. And and I didn't have that at the Celtics and there's, there's no disrespect to the Celtics because, it was just not the way they were set up as a team. Um, sure. And so I didn't have the experience until I was in the experience. And, um, you know, it was, it was scary because I didn't know how to make decisions. I wasn't confident in my decisions. Um, you know, I, I knew the sales process because, as you said, I was pretty good at it, but I had never actually had to <laughs> teach it to somebody. And so right. having to break down, you know, how to do that, um, do what I was doing at a high level and teach it to somebody else was, was a little bit challenging. It would be like me telling you to like, here's, here's a baseball bat, swing the bat. And I could, I would just say, swing the bat, you know, that's all you got to do. But then if you, you, as a coach have to break it down, okay, here's how you, you position your feet. Here's how you position your hands. Here's where your head is. Here's how you hold the, your hands on the bat and, and so forth. So until I learned and it was confident in breaking down a big process into a little process, um, I, sh- I struggled at first for um, a, a couple of months until I, I got my feet under me. Yeah. I, I, that's it, it can be so hard to do that too right you know i find myself do having a hard time with it from time to time myself even just with like i don't have some anybody that i manage right now but within the organization i have to explain how to do certain things with different document types and i can find myself being like i don't know you just do it <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and that's that's not I mean, and part of it is a little bit of the imposter syndrome, right? Like, well, I mean, am I as good as people say I am? Yeah. Am I able to really hold a torch? So I, I, I get, I can completely understand how that would be beautiful. And then you're, you know, you are trying to figure out what motivates people, right? And, mm-hmm. um, and how people best learn is also part of it. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a challenge and you know and every person you meet is different and everybody you recruit to your team is different so even though I you know I may have gotten it right with you know this person over here I could be completely striking out uh, the next person sitting next to them because they're completely different so it's a lot of uh a lot of what I found about managing is is your personal relationships and with the the sales rep or the service rep because you know that's that's how you're going to connect and that's how you're going to really figure out what they they are good at and what their passions are and, and what mo- motivates them and where they want to go. And if you can start to connect all those dots, you can really help them get there and, and also be successful in what they're currently doing. You mentioned that you, um, that you read a lot. And so I'm wondering, is there any particular book or books or blogs that you find yourself going back to, or that, you know, made a really big difference in how you, you'd look at things or, um, handle yourself? Uh, I'm all over the place. Uh, the 
I've, I've read a few different books. I'm in the middle of a couple, so I don't, I don't know yet where they rank, but there was a book I read last year um, called The Power of Habit, and I thought that was really, really good. Um, it had really nothing to do with sales, and, but it had to do with just what we do on a day-to-day basis and how it affects us and impacts us. And if you want to create or modify habits, I thought that was really good and an easy mm-hmm. read, too. Um, Lean In, of course, Charles Sandberg was, was also a very, very good book if you haven't read that one um, and relevant, obviously, to your podcast. And sure. then um, I watched TED Talks a whole lot. And it, I love TED Talks. I, yeah, I, saw, I, I get made fun of sometimes because the notifications will pop up on my phone because I have the app on my phone. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mean, I love them because they're 20 minutes at max. And so if I'm not in the mood to read, it's just quick, quick dose in the evening and, and do it. And so, um, someone at the Mets, a former coworker of mine recommended, I, I look into Frances Hesselbein. Um, it's just, she was a former CEO of the Girl Scouts and a few other leadership. And so I watched her TED talk recently and, and been reading some of her blogs and following her. Uh, manuscripts from or transcripts from her different interviews she's done and so she's got a really great perspective on leadership and and she's like 100 years old too and so she just brings this like feel good grandmother feel to leadership <laughs> and you know you just yeah. kind of have a hugger at the end um mm-hmm. but I would look into her her stuff too if, if you have some chance because she just talks about I think she's resonated with me a little bit more in, in the most recent because she talks about the kind of leader I'd want to be. And it, it's about respect for your people and, and leading with respect and everything else will come from that. And so it's, it's mostly about being kind to people and, and figuring out what's important to them and, and then moving forward from there. So I would recommend her. Right. I will, when I get around <laughs> to a blog post, <laughs> my listeners are all rolling their eyes right now. because. <laughs> so my goal for the rest of this 2017 is to get the blog up to date. I just want to put that out there. Everybody listening, you can hold me to account. <laughs> By January 1st, 2018, we will be up to date. All right. Countdown is on. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, can you talk about the difference? Um, because people don't always realize that there are really two parts on the ticket side of the house, there's the initial sales part, and then there's um, client retention, mm-hmm. um, or in other areas, it's called like guest and member services or something like that. So, can you talk about the difference between those and um, and why you have really um, found yourself more interested on the the retention side? Sure. So. You know, there's there's the sales side and then the service for to make it as simple as possible. Um, sales is exactly what it sounds like. It's you're you're finding new people to come into the organization and um, and then you, they move over to a client retention team or membership services team, whatever each organization calls it. So the the relationship that the client has with the salesperson is just through the sales process, and then there's a handoff, and so that's where the service team comes into play, and that's that's what I oversee now is. Um, the long-term relationship with the client. And, you know, we say, you know, the relationship with the salesperson is only as quickly as it takes to get the sale done. And then, it, mm-hmm. and then it's gone. Um, and then, so the most important person that they have at the organization is, is someone on, on the retention side. And it's, I call the difference between hunters and farmers. So the hunters are the salespeople where they're just like, you know, 
it's a bad way, but they, they get the kill and they move on to the next one. And, that, and that's, they, they keep moving forward. They don't look back. They don't worry about like, you know, John's birthday is coming up down the road and they want to send a card. Like that's, that's not their mentality. And they, they, they know that and they say in sales, the, the service side is where we really dive into the relationship side and we want to get to know everything about the account, you know, and that's whether it's a, someone that's just bringing their friends and their family, or if it's someone that's using their tickets for, for business purposes. And so we want to know ins and outs of everything. So the reps that work on the service team have to be savvy in, in all different types of account management. They need to know how to talk the talk of a business person and also relate to, <laughs> you know, Joe Fan, who just lives and dies with the success of, you know, the product in the field. Um, and I think well, there's a big misconception, though, when people want to get into services that they don't have to sell anymore. And so, <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's really not the, the truth behind it. It's because we're, if we're farmers in this analogy, farmers still have to produce something and we just do it a little bit differently than the hunters would. And so we build our, our new business sales and our, and we grow these relationships by growing the relationship with the person. Because if someone's going to increase their commitment or stay with us a long time, they have to feel a connection to the organization other than just, you know, coming to their seat, buying the popcorn, buying the hot dog and watching the game on the field. So the, the reps on my team will focus on learning ins and outs of each account. They'll focus on learning birthdays and anniversaries and names of kids and where they went to school and um, becoming a friend. That's what I say. I'm like, you're, you're making a new friend today. Let's, let's, you know, if you get in front of them face to face or you're on the phone with them, I think it's really important. Um, and then, and then we sell and, and that's the idea is, you know, it's retention is, is a challenging job because you have the sales side of it. You have the renewal side of it and mm -hmm. you also have the customer service side of it, which is challenging in itself. You've got to be able to wear multiple hats. Um, and a lot of, you know, ticket programs now involve a lot of different benefits and events and experiences that family fans get um and so we also have the event side of it and the benefit fulfillment side of it that we have to accomplish and so we wear multiple hats every single day and so it's challenging but i like to say that you know the reps are multitasking and are well-rounded mm -hmm. and you know from retention you can move to a lot of different things in your career whether you want to go back to the new business side um stay in service or move to events because you'll have all those um all those experiences for myself uh how i ended up in retention uh, it was from a conversation with our, my boss in New York. Uh, he was looking to make some changes, like I said earlier, into the retention team and felt like my new business side would help. Um, and I was like, I don't know. Like, you know, I, I, as a salesperson, <laughs> I was like, I don't, you know, I was more of like, let, let service handle these problems afterwards. I don't want to deal with angry people. I just want to hand them off and, and send them on their way. Uh, and then after a conversation with him and some talking, I was like, you know what? It's, the way what he's asking me to do and the way he has an approach to retention, which I hadn't heard before, uh, really fit with my personality and the style the which, in which I sold as a rep, which was getting to know these people and gaining referrals from them because I had such good relationships and earned their trust. And I knew people in their family and I was getting referrals from referrals from referrals. And, and you know, I, I thought about it. I was like, you know what, like I might have something to contribute here. And when I got there and I started, you know, getting into it a little bit more, I found it was, it was the right fit. And uh, I would never have known it unless I had a, a good conversation with my boss in New York. And um, I think it's, it's a lot of fun because of the events, because of the interaction with different people. You get to meet people from all different walks of life, especially here in DC. There's people who 
have very, very interesting positions. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's fun because, I mean, that's, it's, it's just interacting with people. And if you go back way back to my internship, it was what I enjoyed the most. And it's allowed me to do it for much longer than as a salesperson. And, you know, it, the great part is getting to know people and being able to celebrate with them when there are great things going on. Mm-hmm. One of the challenges that um, that people in retention side can face, though, is when the product on the field isn't that great. Mm-hmm. Um, what has been your philosophy and, you know, how have you kept your teams um, that you lead, you know, upbeat and and help them get through that tough time when people are calling them and just yelling at them because <laughs> nothing's happening the way it's supposed to on the field? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think it's it's true in sales and in service. Uh, you know, I, I like a phrase that's control what you can control. So, mm-hmm. you, know, I didn't, you know, we learned that early on at UMass. It's like, that's what makes sports so unique. Like, you don't have somebody yelling in the supermarket because, you know, a recipe <laughs> changed, you know, that you, but they'll yell at you if, you know, someone misses a ground ball or, or grounds out in a play they should have had a hit. Or, um, so we can't control that. We can't control what game is going to be good versus bad and the outcomes and who's going to get hurt and who doesn't. So we control what we can. And, you know, I tell the team is we can control our effort, we control our attitude and we control, you know, what we do a day in and day out and the experience that we provide for our clients. Right. So we can have a consistent approach, a consistent message. Our events can be amazing. We can do these nice things for people like leave notes on their seats or send them gifts in the mail, but I can't go and make, you know, Bryce Harper hit six home runs per game. That's not going to happen. So we control, we can control. Um, and then I'd say is you try to have fun and, and you set small goals. You, you set small milestones to hit along the way because when you look at, you know, if the team's not performing and you look at, hey, I've got to renew 95% of my season plan holders for next year, that can be extremely daunting. But if you start to break that up into small pieces and say, all right, I need to have 10% by this date. And all right, what do I need to do to get that 10%? And then you move forward from there. Okay, what do I do to get the next 10% or the next sale or, you know, whatever situation you're in? So I think you, you, a combination of the two and then, you know, you as a manager just have to stay positive yourself. And I think, you know, you have to be the good example for, for your team because if you're getting down, if you're upset, if there's a losing streak or, a, you know, a mess up on the field or you're, you're not agreeing with the decision the front office made, you know, then your team is going to read that off of you. And so I think as a leader, you have to stay consistent. You can't get too high. You can't get too low. Um, but you also have to stay positive for all of them. Of, you know, a can-do attitude is like, no matter what's going on, we're going to be good at this. We're, we're going to get through it one step at a time and, and give them a, a path to show them how we'll get through it. And I think that's, that's been some of the things that we've worked through and in, in the different teams I've been involved in. Um, but it, it's, it's not easy. And you, when you're dealing with, Sports and you're dealing with people. You know, there's there's a lot of variables and a lot of unknowns, but it's uh I think that's what makes it fun. You know, you can get to a point where, you know, you you can look at an account and you can look at notes from a rep and you can talk to a rep and then you can say, all right, what is it going to take for this person to come back next year? And and you can formulate a strategy. And I think that's that's where you know the creative side of the business comes in and um and it's it's a lot of fun. I um you know I often. I sit in an office that's surrounded by our guest member relations team. Yeah. And um, 
and the one side of a conversation that I get to hear is always really interesting to me because, you know, I can kind of gauge based on how the various reps are um, having conversations throughout the day, what, what the temperature is um, with our fan base and, and the different issues that are, are rising. So um, it is, I, I often walk out of my office and go, I don't know how you guys do your job. <laughs> like you're really, really good at it. Yeah. <laughs> um, because it is, yeah, it, it can be difficult and to um, not, you know, pop off on someone, I guess, when they're <laughs> being slightly irrational, which can happen, right? I, we, it, there's so much about sports that, that causes um, uh, celebration. And then there's a lot that causes like angst and anger at times mm-hmm. <laughs> that it, it can be a bit of a roller coaster. For sure. Um, I, I can't even think, uh, you know, between I've been, I've worked in major markets my whole career between you know, Boston, which is a crazy sports town. And then in New York, mm-hmm. which, you know, New Yorkers in general. Same. Yeah. And then uh, DC too. DC's got a different, you know, vibe to it, but it's certainly just as powerful and, and passionate. Um, and so I, I don't even know. I, I've heard all different crazy things. I've had people yelling at me. I had people make, make personal comments at me too. And you, you got to keep your cool at the end of the day. You know, you, you represent the organization and you, you can listen to these people and you let them vent and you let them voice their opinions. But at the end of the day, like, People have to understand too, like what your role is. Your your role isn't, you know, you're not going to take their message and bring it up to the general manager of like, oh, this person said we should trade for this person. Like that's that's not <laughs> our role. Um, so, so, you know, we get some some people that think we are literally their inroad to the organization, and and I also view that as like a privilege because if someone thinks of you that way, like I think that's that's pretty cool. But at the same time, we have to we have to, you know, keep their expectations you know, realistic. And, and I think that's part of our job too, is to say, listen, like, here's what I'm here for. Here's how you can use me. And here's what I'll be asking of you as, as my client. And um, I'm, I'm here to be a, an ear for you, but there's going to be things I can do and there's going to be things I can't do. And, and hopefully we'll be able to respect those, those boundaries, but it, it gets tough sometimes, you know, people, mm-hmm. um, people do sometimes have unrealistic expectations and they're, and they're just not afraid to ask for things too. And I, I, I think they're brave, but then uh, at the same time, I'm like, really? Like, is that really, (laughs) is that really necessary? (laughs) Um, You know, I, I get that a lot when it comes to friends and fantasy. Mm. Um, I, I will often have people reaching out to me before draft, you know, fantasy draft time (laughs) and, and trying to get some insight info. Uh, which I'm like, I'm the lawyer and I'm not even the one that deals with the contracts <laughs> for the players. <laughs> um, and I can only imagine, um, you know, I've only done fantasy football, I think once it was just kind of like a fun thing that I did with that group outside my office. Um, there's no money, no anything involved, just kind of um, the ability to brag or, <laughs> or Pride. make fun of yeah. other people. Um, and I had never gotten into it before. I can't even imagine what it's like in baseball with how long the season is, all the number of games and, and players. But um, do you ever have friends reaching out for ridiculous things? 
And by friends, I, I use that word broadly because all of a sudden when you're in sports, you have a lot of friends. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think it's, my friends are pretty good. Um, and I, and there's also professional courtesy of, you know, between my friends who are in the industry, you know, we, we try to help each other out as best we can with access to things. You know, I think back to, um, you know, the Celtics when, you know, we had those good years with the championship and I was able to help my friends out with, you know, invites to some celebrations or parties or events that we had going on. And that was pretty cool. Um, including my family coming up from New York for some of those things. Um, That's fun. You know, at the Mets when we made it to the World Series, of course, there's a lot of people that being from New York, I had a, a lot of people that were <laughs> like, uh, hello, can you help me? And, you know, I do my best there. Uh, and now that I'm in D.C., you know, we had we had also game in New York. We have also game coming up. So we'll see who comes out of the woodworks now that uh, I'm, I'm in a new new spot. But, yeah, it's it can get. um it's, I don't want to say frustrating because that's not the thing. I, I like that people connect and I just get frustrated sometimes when people connect just for the sole purpose of asking me for tickets or asking for something. And I'm like, I, oh, I, sure. I really wish it would be more of like a genuine, like, let's, let's reconnect. And, you know, we were friends at one point or we were closer at one point. But, you know, it's, again, it comes back to people. You know, people right. are all different and come from different places and have different beliefs. And that's, that's not me. But I just know as a person, I, I'm not that way. Like, and I, res- yeah. I respect my my peers in the industry. And I don't ask for many favors. Yeah. I, um, I, I think the, the biggest show of that, that I've experienced is we had the Patriots down here this year. Huh. Yeah. And, um, you know, there were, there were people who I literally hadn't heard from in five, 10 years. Shit. And, um, and we just, it's, it's harder with football because there are so few games mm-hmm. and it's not like a series, right? We're not playing like three games in a row against the same yeah, one team. Shot. So it's one shot. And um, even though I work for the organization, there's a limit to, to what I have access to. Um, and especially when it's such a, a, a big game, you know, that, you know, from a sales perspective, is going to sell out, no question. So um, it, it's something that we, I don't think I ever really thought about before getting into the industry. Um, like when I was in school, I, I even though I wasn't in the industry um, while I was practicing at other companies, I, I knew that that was something that would happen um, because of my contacts in sports. But um it's it's helpful to to have an idea of how you'll respond. Yeah. <laughs> um, but one of like the best things is being able to do cool things, right? And um, it's you know the day to day isn't always glitz and glamour, but there are those times when um, you, as an employee of a team, um, get to to experience some really really fun things that you would never have had access to before. Um, what is one of those things that is most memorable for you? Um, wow. Okay. Uh, I mean, going to the NBA finals was amazing. It's it mm-hmm. um, And my parents were there. And I remember because we had game six at home, which is the game we won. And so it was in Boston. 
and, and the environment was amazing. And I remember I got the, my mom was sitting next to me. I couldn't get a third seat next to me because of the games. And my dad was upstairs and like in the bleachers. Um, <laughs> but I remember like, you know, here I was, you know, in my mind thinking like I've reached the pinnacle, we won the championship and, you know, I got to have my mom next to me. So that was pretty cool. Um, I think back to, uh, you know, even at the Mets, you know, we had, you know, great family experiences. They, they carved out a day where it was family day. And so I got to bring, again, my, my, my parents down to the field and, you know, really walk around the Warren track get to have a catch in the outfield with my dad. And, uh, that stuff's pretty cool too. Like you're, you're as an everyday person and you don't get to just come down to a baseball, professional baseball stadium on a dark day and, and have a catch in the outfield. Like it's, like it's casual in your backyard. And so I thought it was awesome. Right. Uh, you don't actually ever get to step on the grass. No, it's, it's holy <laughs> ground. It's, it's hard. And, uh, it's, it's very cool when you get out, if you ever have a chance to get on a professional baseball field, it's probably one of the coolest things ever. And no matter how many times you do it, every time I step on the grass or the field, it's like, awesome. you know, your jaw drops because it's, it's so big. Um, yeah. and yeah, it was, you know, I get to have a catch in the outfield with my dad and it's something I had done with him since, I don't know, I was probably like three or four and could throw a baseball. Um, yeah. here I was as an adult and, you know, doing it on a professional baseball field. And, you know, the reason we got there is because of, you know, what I do day in and day out. And, you know, he was obviously a part of helping create that opportunity for me. And so those, those are probably the, the coolest ones. There's probably more that I'm forgetting, but those are the ones that come to mind. No, those are sweet. And it's, it's fun to be able to share, um, those things with your family or your really close friends. Mm-hmm. and. Um, it reminds you of how different your career is than other people's because of the emotional attachment that we have to sport. Yeah. I mean, I remember the first time I ever walked into like a stadium, you know, as a kid, was, I mean, it has, I bet you it was Madison Square Garden for me. I, I can't imagine the <laughs> whole thing, but, you know, just to feel that like, wow, I'm in a room with all these people and I'm, I'm cheering for this thing. You feel like you're part of something. And I, I would have been less than 10 years old at the time. Um, and now I get to do that for other people. I get to help create that moment. You know, something I, I remember I feel in that moment when we walked into the football stadium at UMass for the first time and you know, yep. you're part of that and you're on the field and you're, you know, especially what I do now, I directly impact that. You know, my, my job is to help people get the games and enjoy their experience at games. And that's something that I grew up loving and, you know, I share that with not only my friends and my family, but with, you know, people that are, are customers and clients of the Washington Nationals, the New York Mets, or Boston Celtics. So it's, it's extremely rewarding. It's one of my favorite things, especially when you see little kids who it's very clearly their first game. Um, and they're just so excited. My, my very good friends here have boys that are, uh, they're four and six now. Wow. And, um, you know, they're just, they're, they get so excited. I have them come to training camp every year and um, to see them next to the guys and getting signatures. And um, I think that's it, it, one of my favorite things is being able to share that yeah. with them. There's there's actually, I you know, we had an event at the ballpark a couple weeks ago and it was in the, the home team clubhouse of the Nationals. And so we're, we're setting up and you know, it, was, it was the first time I had been in there since I started with the team and I was walking around and there's actually a sign as that connects from the clubhouse where the guys, you know, get all their stuff together and on the tunnel when they walk out to the dugout, there's actually a sign in huge letters that's, you know, printed and framed. It says like, someone is going to be watching me for the first time and, you know, make a count. And I thought that was pretty cool too, because the same thing that we feel as uh, a 
front office staff where we're, you know, we want to have a positive impression on these people from day one, from you know, the moment they talk to a salesperson to the game they come to, to how smoothly it is to get them in and out of the parking lots and the concession lines. It's, you know, the players have that same message themselves. Is like when they walk out on that field, it could be someone's first game ever. Um, and, you know, that's a huge responsibility. Yeah. And I, I loved when I saw that. I, was, I, I couldn't take a picture because you're in the clubhouse, you can't take a picture. Right. But I, was like, <laughs> I, I, I basically took a mental picture and that stuck with me. No, I love that. Um, it is, it's always uh, heartwarming for me when I see our guys interacting with kids and, um, you know, how, how much it means to the guys, you know, to see these, these kiddos that want to be just like them. And um, I think it reminds them of what it used to be like for them. Mm -hmm. They were once that kid, you know, seeking autographs yeah. from their favorite player. Yeah. I mean, if they could get into the games, you know, depending on what type of game it was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, football's hard because, um, you know, for many people, um, it's a once in a lifetime experience to go to a game um, because of um, the cost associated with it a lot of times and because of how few games there are. So um, I think it's um, it's always really special. And it I don't know. It warms the cockles <laughs> of my my very snarky being <laughs> um what advice do you typically give people looking at the industry and thinking of of working in it beyond um the you know looking at the minor league um experience um you know how do you suggest people go about that first job search? Uh, I would say is, you know, when you're looking, you know, look for organizations that have opportunity. I mean, that's number one, like, you know, and, and that was something they preached to us a long time ago at UMass was like, you know, the Lakers and, you know, the Knicks, and, although they probably do now, but like at the time, like they didn't, they weren't hiring, right? <laughs> they, they weren't hiring because no one needed them. Um, it's, <laughs> things have changed since then. Uh, but I always say look for organizations that have the opportunity and not just the brand, right? Look for where you're going to be able to grow and develop and, and look for good people. And and that's what I've tried to do every step of the way is, you know, like I, I talked about why you know, one of the main reasons I like Celtics was because I connected with who was going to be my boss. Um, and I trusted her that she was going to help me grow and, and build my career because that's what you're doing when you go to work for somebody is you're, you're putting your career in their hands and saying, teach me. Um, and what, your habits, your your style is very much going to be dictated by who they are. And so I think you've got to go and find good people. And there's good people everywhere in all levels of the of sports industry, whether it's agency or uh, team or minor league or major league, wherever. But I think you've got to view it on the people first uh, and then mm -hmm. organization second, because, you know, you could go work for a great organization, but, you know, that's all you're going to do because there's nobody there that's going to help groom you and get you to that next step. So. Um, that's something I look for when I when I move, you know, when I've moved places, it's been with people I trust and know. And same thing when I just made this move to D.C. a few months ago, it was because I, I respected the people that were in charge of, you know, the department I was working for and, and their leadership. And I knew they were going to believe in me and help me and get me to that next level where I want to go. And um, so it's advice I follow myself. So that's, that's what I give to everybody else. <laughs> um. You have gone from Boston to New York to DC. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that 
I often have to talk with people about is geography (laughs) and, and people sometimes say, well, I want to work in sports. I want to be in Boston. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, When I moved to Boston, I moved in and I was all in, right? I was, because I wasn't from there and I didn't really have a safety net. And so I'm always a big fan of people who are all in wherever they go. Mm -hmm. And so if, if, if you're from Boston or New York and all you want to do is work for a New York team, or if you're from DC and all you want to work for a DC team, like you're not going to be all in because if it doesn't work out, you're always going to, you know, have a, you know, mom and dad or friends and family there to, to catch you. And you can always just readjust and pivot and you're, you're in your, you're very much in your comfort zone. So I think to grow, you got to step out of your comfort zone. And I think that happens with changing cities. Um, there's, I just don't think people are going to be able to get the career growth they want by staying in one place. Um, and, you know, I'm probably a good example of it is to, in order for me to grow, I've, I've had to move and I've had to change positions and, you know, move to new cities that I've never lived in before. And I think that's part of the process. You know, you can, you can start your career wherever you want. I think that's fine if you're finding good people who are going to grow, like you said. But I think you've got to be willing to take a leap. And you don't have to, you know, I, do I ever see myself living in Seattle or California? Probably not. I'm probably more of an East Coast person. But <laughs> that still opens me up to a lot of different areas. And I think you, when you see an opportunity, you recognize the opportunity. I think you got to be willing to take it. I don't think, um, I don't think geography should be the, the mean restriction on it um yeah. you know and you know whenever you make a move it's got to check a lot of different boxes it's got to connect you know personally and professionally but i don't think geography should be the main reason yeah i think um the, you know when i've talked about this and and again it really depends on like where in the industry you work right there like we've talked about there are typically more um opportunities entry level in sales mm-hmm than there are in, say, legal. Um, And really, an entry-level legal person is a rarity anyway. Um, You know, most people who work in a legal department in sports um, have um, a few years under their belt um, practicing beforehand. But regardless, um, the, the geographical limitations that people sometimes put on themselves ends up uh, limiting their opportunity, mm-hmm. right? Um, and for your first position in particular, um, which is the hardest one to get, yeah. um, I, I've often told people that they need to, um, it, it will work out better for them in the long run if they keep an open mind as to the location of their first position. Because... Um, once you make a really good impact and impression and work really hard and get some experience under your belt, you'll, you know, you may be able to be a little pickier about where you live. Um, but you have to get that first job in the industry in order for, um, you to be able to do that. Yeah. hundred percent. You know, I, I think about, um, you know, people who choose to be an entry level anywhere. I mean, you know, if it works out, you, create this opportunity for yourself and you can decide to stay in the city you're in or, or pursue the next level somewhere else. And, you know, if it doesn't even work out, then you can always come back home. But I always feel like you got to take that risk. Like 
you know, I think back to, and, you know, almost like the pep talk I gave myself is, you know, like I said, I grew up loving and being involved in sports since I can remember. And then I put four years and time into pursuing a career in sports. And then all of a sudden when I graduated, I was going to limit myself. Like that didn't make any sense, you know, to right. say I've worked all this hard for however many years to follow this dream. And now I'm going to say, well, this dream is now not this big. It's like this big. And I think you, you, you're limiting yourself and there's, there's no reason to do it. I mean, yeah, it's, is Texas different from New York? Yeah, definitely. But if, you know, if it was an amazing opportunity and, you know, who knows, I, I might have to give it a shot, but, you know, you don't know unless you, you put yourself out there and try it. Right. I think, you know, I've joked um, about me um, getting this position down in Florida. And <clears throat> first of all, prior to um, this position, my thoughts on living with in Florida were... <laughs> No. Um, and, you know, I know that my friends were like relieved that it was somewhere um, it, like Tampa as opposed to somewhere like Minneapolis. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because for them, they're like, I don't want to go there. Yeah, there's a destination they can come visit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, but I, I tell people if if the first if the first opportunity that that opened for me was. In, I don't know, a Dakota. <laughs> I don't even know how that would work in sport, but hey, let's go with a Dakota. Like I would have gone, um, because the, the main goal was to get into sport. And, um, and we find that that's the same when it comes to, um, salary too, right? Like at first, you know, and we're told this from day <laughs> one, uh, at UMass, you know, you don't get into, um, the sports business. Um, to make a ton of money. And, um, when, when people joke with me, they're like, Oh, you're a high powered attorney for, you know, an NFL team. I'm like, <laughs> let me just tell you the people who make a lot of money on my team are the ones that have numbers on their back. Yeah. Um, and you know, that it's an interesting dynamic that people outside of the industry don't really think about. Yeah. I mean, especially when you, divided by the number of hours that you know you work like it could be like what looks like a normal salary but then you divide it amongst like the 70 80 hours a week that you work and the holidays that you got to give up and you know the weekends and the summers at the beach like yeah then it's like oh okay i get it but you know especially in baseball i mean you're you're talking about you yeah. eight games in football i could go easily like 20 days in a row at baseball because home stands are 10 games or about 10 games at a time and Sometimes we get them back to back. So I'll be working consecutive weekends. And you forget what day it is sometimes. And, you know, God forbid I have to pick up dry cleaning or something because <laughs> they might just confiscate <laughs> it if I, if I don't, don't come out of my bunker. Um, but I think that's, you, you know, if you're in it for the money, you know, then the hours are just going to eat you up because it's, it's not, it's, it's, you're not going to survive. I, I remember like my inside sales position at the Celtics. I mean, are you, I've, probably made like nine dollars or ten dollars an hour plus commission at the time and i remember it was i don't know a couple weeks into the job and my boss comes around and hands us their paychecks and i remember like oh yeah that's right i get paid for this and because <laughs> you know as a umass you know we were doing all this crazy stuff and you know occasionally you get like a check for like 20 bucks and it really didn't feel like pay um and i was no longer an intern and i got paid and i just remember that feeling like oh that's right i get to put money in my bank account and uh that's, so that's how I've always viewed the job is also, I don't know anything different. You know, I've, right. I've always been in sports. I've always worked football games at 7am and uh, weekends yeah. and, you know, I missed 
six Thanksgivings in a row when I was in Boston because Celtics played the day before and the day after, and so I couldn't get back to New York for the, the Thursday. Um, so you, you do it, and you know if you're in it for money, it's it's the wrong reason to do it. But if you take the jump and you make the sacrifices, you know, you have all these other cool things you're able to do for your friends and your family, like, you know, take them on World Series trips and have cats on the field and, <laughs> and all that stuff. So it's, it's got its perks and its ups and its downs, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important for people to, to think, you know, think about those things. Um, you know, uh, it, it will have an impact on, you know, how you choose to live. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, just like people who work in the restaurant industry don't usually have nights and weekends um, to hang out a lot of times in sports. It's it's very similar. And um, and managing your your relationships with people outside of sport um, can uh, can be tricky at times. But they, you know, they get it after, after a while. while. They're used to it, especially I mean, my friends are at least because I've been doing it for so long. But, you know, baseball right. season ends. I remember I got a text from somebody I worked with at the Nationals, and it was her first baseball season that she finished up. And it was the day after our postseason run ended, and she's like, "Well, what do we do now?" And it was like almost like she's like <laughs> awakening from this like deep sleep of, "All right, I can like explore a new city and you know go back to you know normal life in a in a, a big city and have some fun because it was it was un it wasn't normal for her." Uh, yeah, it was like a re well, you're like. Yeah, you're like you have three weeks um, <laughs> to have fun and get normal sleep, and then we're prepping for season. Yep. Which is funny. I mean, with me, and it, you know, um, there are different. Everyone thinks that you're the busiest during season, and in my type of position, that's actually not the case um, because everything that I do, well, ninety percent of what I do is directly related to the season and getting the season things ready for the season. So um, my busiest period of time is from like June through September um, because all of the contracts that we need to get out with partners and um, sweet holders and stuff like that, because, you know, first preseason game is when their assets become available. Yeah, I, that's a question I get a lot. I'm sure you do too. It's like, well, what do you do in the offseason? I still get it from family, friends, and, you know, people yeah. being, like, college stories and stuff. What do you do in the offseason? I can't help. I feel like people think we just all, like, shut down and, like, go to right. and come back. Well, they, they see the players. Yeah. They see the, yeah. you know. But it's, it's funny. I mean, when I was a rep, our busiest time was definitely in season because you're executing everything you promised in the office in your clients, but now on the mm -hmm. leadership side and specifically now that I'm in charge of a department and their strategy for the department, like my busiest time is stuff in the off season. Cause once the season takes off, we, we're done. Like we're all of our strategies set in place. You know, it's like an airplane taking off. Like it's, it's not right. coming back and people are in their seats or not in their seats. And you know, our, our, you know, our, our plan is set. And so, you know, we're spending a lot of time right now talking about, what are we going to adjust for next year and how can we be better? And what, what do we want to add, change, um, keep the same. So it's, it's, I can relate for sure. Off season's a lot of, a lot of heavy lifting. Sure. Um, now that you're in charge of your own department, um, what are some of the skills that 
you're learning. Um, I can imagine that you probably have a budget now yeah. um, and things like that. Uh, so it's funny. So what gets you to um, a management role in sales and service is, you know, your ability to talk to customers and get the most out of people. I think what I'm learning and you know, it's still unwritten a little bit, but I think what I'm learning now is like, that's all good. And I still have that, but I think what I've got to get under my belt to get to the next level is, is the analytical side of, of the business and in retention, it's, it's a lot, you know, you're talking like numbers and projections and indexes and renewal percentages <laughs> and, and all that and, and revenues. And so um, that, that strategy piece, that analytical piece of combining what the data that I get and then the, all right, I have this data. Now, how do I apply it to the customers and transform that communication into the best way I know what, you know, how to do so? Um, I think that's what's going to help me get to the next, next level. But yeah, I'm learning all about like, the different data that we have access to and budgets and events. And then, you know, I'm also dealing with more people than I ever did before. And so I've got two different teams that operate very similar, but a little bit different. I've got three different managers that all have their different responsibilities and their strengths. And so I've got more layers to it now. So instead of just being hands-on with a rep, I'm, yes, I'm in charge of their development, but by way of their manager's development. And then I have to help execute events and manage the budget and deal with strategy. And so a lot of things coming together. And so I'm learning and challenging my multitasking skills. <laughs> no, yeah. it's amazing. I can... I can only imagine um, another thing that I like to ask people from time to time, and it it seems like it's a good question to ask you, um, because I know that for many months you were basically bunkered down, um, just trying to, um, you know, get your feet under you. So what do you do um, when you are in those really hunkered down situations and, um in terms of self-care um, so that you're not just um, running yourself ragged? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, well, me being new to DC has been awesome because I, I don't live very far from all the, you know, the touristy sites. Uh, yeah. So, you know, when I, if the weather was a little bit nicer, it's still nice here, I guess. But when it was a little bit, uh, the sunshine and, and 70 degrees, uh, I was able to, you know, take some downtime and walk up to the museums and the monuments and, and take that part in because part of it was exploring a new city. And, and, you know, I hadn't done that in a while. So that was, that's been fun. I'm still doing it. Every weekend I, I try to do something. Um, I also have a good family support in DC. I have, uh, my siblings are both here and, and they both have a child each. I have a niece and a nephew. And so I've been able to decompress a little bit with them uh, and, mm -hmm. and watch them grow up, which is, which is amazing because if I was in Boston or New York, you know, I wouldn't have that same day-to-day -day interaction. I would only see the big changes when we, we meet up for holidays or special occasions. Um, right. And then, you know, I, I tried to, you know, when I was in New York, I took up yoga and, and became a little bit more of a runner. I try, I'm a fake runner, but uh, same. yeah, I took, uh, I ran a, a half marathon when I was in New York and then, you know, my, that's not a fake runner. I, well, it was my first race. You're ever. A it runner. was my first race ever. Uh, it doesn't matter, yeah, right? And so I was like, I'm always doing these things that like completely challenge myself and my family and my friends think I'm crazy because I was like, yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna run a race and they're like, okay, what 5k are you gonna do? I'm like, no, I'm just gonna do a half marathon. They look at me like I'm crazy. And then one of my friends um had this idea of doing a Ragnar relay. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. Oh that, yeah, where it's this crazy yeah. 36 hour race. You run at all times of the day and the night. And um, so I ran one of those in June with a couple of my college friends. 
So, and that was a ton of fun and, and so forth. So that's amazing. Um, I haven't picked, picked out one. I, I somebody put the cherry blossom 10 miler flyer on my desk yesterday. And so they're trying to tease me into doing that. So we'll see. But I, I try to do stuff like yeah. that where I don't take running seriously. I'm not out there every day, but you know, I'll go through a phase where I'll spend six months and train for something and then do it and then stop and then pick it up again. And, um, <laughs> but I like it too. I mean, I don't know if you find it from running too, but it, I find it keeps me sharp and keeps me, uh, keeps my mental toughness engaged a little bit because you have to convince yourself like sure. I can make it one more mile. I can do this. It's like, all right, your legs don't hurt. You're breathing fine. Just keep going. And you've got to give yourself a pep talk. So it's, it's, it's been fun. And you get to listen to new music too when you do it. Or podcasts. Podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe if I change um, the 10 miler, I'll catch up on the rest of your, your podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, you could do the Marine Corps marathon. Yeah, um, and then you'd definitely be able to catch up. Um, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I did that in, in uh, 2009, and it's one of the most incredible races yeah. in the world. I, watched, I stood um, on the sidelines this year and watched and cheered people on. Oh, good, amazing. good. Yeah, D.C. is a good city for, um, for you know, fun races like that. And... Um, and, and even, you know, shorter mileage, you know, there's just, there's a really vibrant yeah. running community and there <laughs> and yeah, for the most part, unless you go into Arlington, yeah. um, yeah. and, and, you know, one of the fun things I think about DC generally is that take the races aside, you know, but, you know, along the same vein, there are just so many different events, mm-hmm. right? There are just so much going on there that you can you can basically just like run into something accidentally. And, um, and I think that's a a really fun thing about that city, uh, that you have that ability to just like, be like, I'm going to be on the sidelines watching this cool thing happen right now. And, um, you know, kind of go from there. You, from what I'm hearing, you may, uh, you also may be getting another March coming up there, um, at the end of January. So, all right. Well, maybe I'll get to go yeah. to this one. I didn't get to go. I wasn't down here at that point last year. So, yeah, I, I went up for it. Um, it was amazing. Uh, it's, but you know, you just, you get to see cool things like that. So, um, you know, I think, I think you'll really enjoy it up there. And, um, it's one of those cities that's really good to go to because there's so many free things. Yeah. That's, that's what's the best is like, you know, pop, like pop my headphones on on a weekend and, and walk up and whether I'm by myself or with friends, it's like just, walk around a museum and just take it all in and you know me who was going to be a history major at one of the colleges i applied to like (laughs) uh i love that (laughs) stuff so uh you know i get to walk around the archives or museums and take it all in and it's it's cool and and think about you're in the city with you know some of the most powerful people that are making decisions and and i'm just walking down the street with my coffee and and that's that's exciting too same same feeling i felt in boston like everywhere you walked in boston like there was something historic that happened there and then uh, in yeah. New York too, like you know, every you, that's someplace that everybody looks at as like the dream to go to in the center of the world, and you know, it's my everyday. So it's, <laughs> it's cool to be in these big cities. Do you have um, and have you connected yet within DC any organizations um, you know that you give your time to or donate to, um, or is there a cause that's like really dear to your heart? Not yet. Um, I definitely want to dive into that. Like you said, DC is a very events-based city, and so I think it's only a matter of time before I get involved in something. Um, 
but and I think the nationals are a good platform for that too because there's so many great causes through the Dream Foundation that you know we're exposed to that if you want to volunteer. Um, yeah, I would like you know probably something I want to get involved in, but it could be dangerous for me is um, pet adoption because I don't have <laughs> I don't have a dog. I always say like if I start involved in that, I'm going to end up with like ten. Um, yeah, but I, I'm a big fan of you know pet adoption. Like my siblings all have adopted dogs. My parents do, and you know when I do it, it'll be a, you know part of that as well. Um, I think that will probably be the, the avenue. But again, it could be dangerous. So TBD on that. <laughs> well, and so here's how I have fought that. Because I've got my two fur balls, um, but they're cats. And which I, I just got side eye from Simon. Simon, I love you. Um, but I grew up with dogs and cats. And so when I was in um, Quincy, Mass, um, I worked with a shelter there and, and was actually being groomed to be on their board and worked with the dogs. And the way I was able to handle it was my lease would not allow me to have any more animals. Huh. And so if you move to a place that doesn't allow dogs, then you kind of have that like logical out. Yeah. But right. So pet friendly. I know. I know. So, but it's like it actually got more dangerous. There are dogs yeah, everywhere. It got more dangerous the closer I moved to DC. Yeah, it's dogs everywhere. And then there's like <laughs> places that have dog bowls and cookies like laying out for when you take your dog shopping. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's great too because I like to see all that. And maybe it gets, Tampa's gets like my that too. Fix. So, if I ever feel like I need a dog, I can just vicariously live through all these pet owners who are at it. Like, I'm walking the dogs and cold. <laughs> yeah, I do. That's kind of what I do with in my uh, neighborhood is. There, I know the dogs' names. I don't know the people's names, and um, it's kind of rude. But I don't really know how. <laughs> like, oh hi! I know I've seen you three thousand times now. I know your dog's name is Rover. Um, I forgot yours. Yep. It just seems wrong, but yeah, that's kind of what I do there. Um, we are going to wrap up. Is there anything that? you want to point my listeners to or um you know kind of like an action item for them uh i would say hmm, probably use each other i mean you know there's a lot of people doing a lot of really good things out in the world and it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody in, in a high position you know that you you need to connect with but connect with each other use each other um, I live by the philosophy of pay it forward. So when it, whatever it is you're doing, if you're doing it at a high level, pay it forward. You know, you know, help somebody else out who, who, you know, if you were in their shoes, you'd want that opportunity too. And that's something I try to do for young college students or high school students or anybody that just wants to, to talk about their career and need some advice. So um, you know, be kind to each other. I think you know, there's <laughs> it's uh, it's you know, we hear all time and time again. It's a, such a competitive field. Um, and it could be cutthroat and it's grueling and it's grinding, but there's, like I said earlier, there's so many good people doing so many good things and, um, use each other, be kind to each other and, and pay it forward as you go. And I think everything will work out from there because there's, you know, opportunities come to those who work hard and, and who are, uh, good at what they do and can do those things, they'll, they'll be fine. Is there, um, I think you're pretty quiet on the social media, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I post mostly on, on LinkedIn. I feel like that's the, the sure. community that I'm trying to target, you know, whether I'm trying to recruit or just right. the culture that we're building in DC or 
in New York when I was there. Um, but um, anybody that wants to reach out to me on, on LinkedIn, is, I'm, I'm more than happy to change emails, jump on phone calls and, and connect that way because I'm a huge advocate for women in sports and careers in sports. And especially if you're curious about the sales and service side of the industry, I'm, I'm more than happy to help uh, coach or mentor or answer any questions people have. That's great. And we'll link to that eventually. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I try. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I have I have Twitter and I have, uh, you know, a lot of the other ones. You do? I do, but I'm not really active. I just follow a bunch of people. I'm, and that's, gotcha. that's how I get my news sources sometimes, like, it's because it's quick. Yeah. But I don't like really post. I feel like the community that I'm best, you know, suited for is, is LinkedIn. So you'll see some stuff up well, there. Yeah, of course. I And I, you know, you do. You post some really great things. And it's always um, fun to share when you guys have openings yep. uh, and uh, reach out. So. Well, I want to thank you so much. And, um, you know, as always, if there's any th- questions that you all have for Michelle or um, for me, you know, feel free to reach out and we'll connect you. So thanks, Michelle. Thank you. Thanks to Michelle for coming on and sharing those fun stories with us. Um, I think this is a great interview, especially for people who are not yet in the industry who are either still in school or early in their career and are thinking of making the jump to sports. So many people make their way um, going through the sales programs at various um, entities. And it is really good that Michelle shared her stories and let you kind of know what that path trajectory can look like. I am super proud of her. Um, I think, you know, she's just going to do amazing things at the nationals and can't wait to see what they roll out. Um, and yeah, it was fun. We've, um, got a whole bunch of interviews, uh, lined up for the rest of this year. And then, um, like I said earlier, we're starting planning for 2018. So, um, get in touch with us, uh, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at LTPF pod. Um, my personal Twitter is at Bobby Sue. And, um, you can always email us at ltpfpod, um, at gmail.com. <laughs> Sorry. I said that really weird. Ltpfpod at gmail.com. And you heard correctly. I made a goal to get the blog all set and ready, um, and up to date before the new year. So keep an eye on that ltpfpod.com. You can follow along on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, TuneIn, RadioInfluence.com, and Google Play. Make sure you're subscribing, rating, and reviewing. And again, thanks to my guys, Jerry and Jason, over at RadioInfluence.com for always being great to me. Um, And thank you to you all. I, Like I said, I I love hearing from you and... um, I'm just thankful that you're all out there. So um, enjoy the beginning of the holiday season and make sure you're uh, checking us out next week. Bye.
Hey, you guys, it's me, the fabulous sports babe. How wonderful is that? I'm on Radio Influence. I'm on iTunes. I'm on Stitcher. And it's on a bunch of stuff that I can't get on my phone because I don't figure out how to do it. But if you want to do that, you get my lovely podcast now. You can go and do this. You can be mowing the lawn. You can go into the moon. You can do any of that stuff, and you can listen to the fabulous sports babe. I'll have a lot of people to talk to because, after all, that's what I do is just annoy them all the time. It's the fabulous sports babe. It's right here on Radio Influence.